Welcome back to another episode of the Bill Barnwell Show. Today, Doug Kite is here from PFF talking about the shocking to me Cam Newton signing and why it's so surprising. And we talk about all things Odell Beckham and where he might end up and why he might end up in a particular place. But before that, wanted to tell you about another ESPN podcast you may not listen to. I'd recommend you do so, though, because it features many of the smartest people covering fantasy football out there, Matthew Berry, Field Yates, Stefania Bell, Mike Clay, and Daniel Dopp on Fantasy Focus Football. The crew provides daily strategy, previews, and injury reports, so you're more than prepared to dominate your fantasy football league. Find Fantasy Focus Football wherever you get your podcasts. And also, ESPN's new weekday studio show is out, NBA Today, hosted by Malika Andrews. It tips off at the start of the NBA season with exclusive content Monday to Friday at 3 p.m. Eastern, noon Pacific. Alongside Malika, there will be a full cast of NBA experts and insiders, including Kendrick Perkins, Chine Aquamike, Vince Carter, Zach Lowe, former Grantland colleague of mine, Zach Lowe, Woj, of course, you got to get the Woj bombs in there, Ramona Shelburne, and many of our NBA reporters from around the league. Get caught up with the latest from around the NBA on NBA Today. 3 Eastern, noon Pacific on ESPN and the ESPN app. One app, one tap, and also available as a podcast. Listen to NBA Today wherever you get your podcast. And now here's Doug Kite. All right, joining me now to talk not only about the Odell Beckham situation, but breaking news as of this afternoon, as we are recording this with Cam Newton signing with the Carolina Panthers on a one-year deal. Joining me to talk about that is my friend, a person who does excellent work for Pro Football Focus. It's Doug Kide. Doug, how are you? I'm doing great, Bill. How are you doing today? I am very good. We have something exciting to talk about beyond the Odell news, and that is this Cam story, which I mean, two days ago, I felt like I had forgotten that Cam was even possibly going to play football. And now not only is he playing football, he might play football as early as this weekend. Yeah, it's pretty amazing because, I mean, that that would be a, a quick turnaround for him. We'll, we'll see if that actually happens. But it, it's pretty amazing that Carolina is the team that signed him because I think that, you know, heading into the season, there were some teams that you could pretty comfortably cross off that mm-hmm. could sign Cam Newton. And just the way that it ended there for him and the Panthers – Carolina was a team that I never really considered, even though they were uh, one, one of the teams with the shakier quarterback situations. But mm-hmm. I think that this just kind of goes to show, I don't want to say how desperate teams can get, but you know, when you're put in this place where you're now going to be without your starting quarterback for four to six weeks, uh, you consider any and all options. And, and Cam Newton definitely was the best option for the Panthers at this point. Well, if you don't say desperate, I'll say desperate. I think the Panthers were totally <laughs> desperate given their situation. I mean, it's not like Sam Darnold was exactly thrilling uh, the Carolina Panthers and, and coach Matt rule over. Oh, geez. Anything after the first three weeks of the season. I mean, after week three, he was like the rushing touchdown leader. He was looking like he had turned things around. And then since then uh, completing under 55% of his passes, averaging 5.5 yards per attempt, four touchdowns, 10 interceptions, a passer rating of 56 and a half, including three picks, against the Patriots in a rather ugly 24-6 loss 
last time out. Sam Darnold has a shoulder injury out for four to six weeks. Actually, let, let, let's briefly talk about Sam Darnold before we get to Cam here, because for the Panthers, it's not just about what happens in 2021. Sam Darnold, as part of that trade with the Jets, where the, the Panthers gave up two picks, including a second round selection, they agreed to pick up Sam Darnold's 2022 option. And in the past, as people may remember, with quarterbacks like Robert Griffin, that was not fully guaranteed. It was only guaranteed for injury. That is now fully guaranteed under the new CBA. So Cam, sorry, Cam, Sam Darnold is guaranteed $18.8 million, $18.9 million next year by the Carolina Panthers, whether he is their starting quarterback or whether he is the fourth stringer. So like, Doug, I mean, do you think leaving the injury aside, like, do you think the book is closed on Sam Darnold as the long-term future uh, of the Carolina Panthers at the quarterback position and whether it is or it is not like if, if he's not going to be their starter next year, what do you think they do with him? I mean, they either have to, I, I, to, yes, I'll answer the first question that I do think that the door is probably closed on Sam Darnold as the Panthers future starting quarterback. I think that this season was bad enough. I know he's dealing with a shoulder injury, on Sunday against the Patriots, but it's mm-hmm. not as if that was his only ugly performance of the season. Mm-hmm. Now you sign Cam Newton to a deal worth up to, you know, $10 million, four and a half million dollars guaranteed. That's not just a, a veteran minimum salary that they're giving Cam Newton. It certainly looks like he will be the starter for the rest of the season, as long as he stays healthy. And if you're willing to turn to someone like Cam Newton, who's been out of the NFL for 10 weeks now, mm-hmm. I don't think that that bodes well for Sam Darnold heading into 2022 now. So I, to add to this as well, the Panthers signed Teddy Bridgewater to a three-year, $63 million contract last offseason. Mm-hmm. So he's carrying $17 million worth of dead cap uh, uh, on their salary cap this season. Next year, Sam Darnold, like you said, is going to be carrying $18 million, regardless of whether he's you know on their roster or not. They might be able to get some offset money if he signs somewhere else, or if they mm-hmm. trade him somewhere else or whatever it is. But it they're, they're just, they're wasting a lot of money right now on quarterbacks just to turn back to the guy that they released last off season. Um, but the Sam Darnold thing is definitely interesting. I, I thought it was a little bit, it was a heavy price to pay, uh, you know, the second round pick, fourth round pick, sixth round pick to get Sam Darnold. I thought that it was a risk worth taking mm-hmm. just because there was going to be that assumed, you know, bump going from Adam Gase to another offense. But I I was looking pretty deeply into all of the available quarterbacks this offseason because I was still covering the Patriots at the time, and they also needed a quarterback. Mm-hmm. The baseline that Ryan Tannehill co- carried when he was with Adam Gase was so much higher than the baseline of Sam Darnold. Mm-hmm. So I never loved that comparison of, okay, well, Ryan Tannehill turned into a quality NFL starter after he got away from Adam Gase, so Sam Darnold will too. Ryan Tannehill was a much better quarterback with Gase than Mm -hmm. Sam Darnold was. So I'm not surprised that Sam Darnold is still struggling. Uh, But yeah, the the Panthers are are definitely a little bit of a mess. I think at this point, they're either going to, they, they should basically just trade him for whatever they can get, even if they have to, you know, give up picks like teams have in the past mm-hmm. to get some you know salary off of their books yeah i mean it's you yeah i never want to say never because 
I, I, I figured the Jaguars would have to eat money to get Nick Foles off their books, right. and they didn't have to. They even got a pick back from the Bears, which is, you know, granted that has not worked out especially well for the <laughs> Chicago Bears, but teams can dilute themselves. Sam Darnold was once a, a top five pick in the NFL draft. Like, I, I, I wouldn't be shocked if there was interest in him at least a little bit, where maybe the, the Panthers could get, you know, they wouldn't have to trade eat all the money or, or or have to trade another premium pick to get rid of him. Mm-hmm. Who knows? But it, it's their problem. Like at the end of the day, like they have this thing they don't want anymore. That's going to cost them $18 million. Now they're going to eat the money or they're going to have to get very creative or they're going to have to do something to make this work. And, you know, it certainly seems like they headed into 2019, sorry, 2020 after cutting cam thinking, okay, we have to find our new quarterback and we found him. They're, heading into the head of the 2021 thinking that and made a move to do that. And now they're going to have to do the same thing in 2022. And that that's a dangerous cycle to get on. I mean, you're losing picks, you're losing draft capital, you're losing money, you're losing money isn't necessarily the problem, but you're losing cap space. Um, it, it's certainly been a frustrating thing for Carolina to deal with. And I, I, as we get to the Cam Newton situation this year, what I found really striking about this, maybe the most surprising thing about this, not only just that he would go back to Carolina, but on top of that, he's getting four and a half million dollars guaranteed per uh, ESPN's Adam Schefter, up to ten million dollars for the rest of the season, four and a half million fully guaranteed, and one and a half million in a roster bonus or roster bonuses, I guess, probably per game roster bonuses. So, I mean, it's not like Cam is coming in for the minimum or coming in for what he made with the Patriots last year. Uh, which was not a big guarantee. This is for, you know, for a half season, a pretty significant amount of money. I mean, do you think that this was something that Cam was holding out for? It was okay. I'm happy to not play unless I get a pretty meaningful return. Or do you think this is just a a sign that the Panthers really had no other choice besides uh, going out and giving Cam this sort of money to come back in? This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there is no competition. And right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number 8, S-A-V-E. Go to JetsPizza.com to learn more and find a Jets Pizza location near you. Again, try Jets Signature 8 Corner Pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's number 8, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza, better because it has to be. I think it was a kind of a combination of both. Uh, you mm-hmm. know, Cam Newton wasn't going to play for free. And since he still did have the, I think it was $1.5 million in offset uh, on his the deal they signed with the Patriots, Anything less than one and a half million dollars would have essentially meant that Cam Newton was going to be paying for his new, playing for his new team for mm-hmm. free. Now that's not to say that you know four and a half million and one and a half million that that's still a, a pretty big uh, divide there between those two figures. So I, I do think that this shows that you know, like I said before, I, I don't love using the word desperate. I know that you were willing to, I, I but. It does. It shows a little bit of desperation from the Panthers that they are still hoping to turn this season around. I know that they started off very hot. They've got a good defense. 
Uh, they've they've allocated a lot of resources into the season, acquiring someone like Stefan Gilmore mm-hmm. and trading for CJ Henderson, all these things. So maybe they feel like they're at a point of no return. But at the same time, they're four and five on the season right now. Uh, you know, as far as the the playoff picture goes, they mm-hmm. are eighth in the NFC. They're only, you know, one team back from actually being in the playoff hunt. So maybe that's why they're still trying to go all in on the season and, mm-hmm. and acquiring Cam Newton at this point. But, you know, you almost couldn't blame them at four and five after losing Sam Darnold and being stuck with PJ Walker and Matt Barkley and James Morgan, all these guys. You couldn't have really blamed them at this point for saying, okay, well, the season didn't go how we want it to. So I don't know. Yeah, they're, they're still, I think that this, the biggest thing that shows to me is that they're still hoping to be contenders. And just one last point on, you know, what we talked about before all this, Mm -hmm. this quarterback carousel that they've gone through, they were picking eighth in this year's draft. Yes. They, they could have had Justin Fields. Uh, They could have had Mac Jones, who Matt rule is a big fan of. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, maybe this works out for the, for the Panthers that maybe Cam Newton can, you know, resuscitate his career here in Carolina and everything like that. But the more success that Justin Fields and Mac Jones have in the future, Panthers fans have a right to second guess how Carolina handled this offseason. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think that goes, you can't go without saying, because this is a podcast, you have to say it, but like, I think you're hundred percent correct. Like it, it absolutely. This is a situation where Panthers fans were probably pretty upset that they went out and traded for Sam Darnold and didn't draft a quarterback in the first round. And they have every right to be upset given how Sam Darnold has played since the first three weeks of the year. I mean, I, I think the idea that the Panthers are in the playoff race is absolutely a valid one. And I I was excited to watch PJ Walker last year. I, I don't want to say that he's not capable of doing this, but I mean, last year, five interceptions on 56 pass attempts, a passer rating of 45.8. This year, um, he he came in for a stretch in garbage time against the Giants, went three of fourteen with three sacks. Um, he is he's not shown very much aptitude as an NFL caliber quarterback, and it certainly seems like with the decision to sign Cam, that the Panthers did not feel like he was showing them much more in practice than he showed in games. Um, we talked about the Panthers' future and what might happen with them after the twenty twenty one season. For Cam, I mean, do you think this is kind of the last shot he gets as a starter? Um, and, and at this point, maybe if he does not succeed in Carolina, he will end up being, you know, either retiring or moving out of the league or being just a pure backup um, who comes in for stretches here or there. I think it is. I think that this is definitely a, a make or break situation for Cam Newton because there are a lot of things that didn't go in his favor last season with the Patriots. I saw it. Up as, as up close as anyone, uh, you know, the Patriots wide receivers and tight ends were in, were in tough shape. Uh, the offensive line was struggling at times. Cam Newton was trying to learn a new offense without, you know, the full off season. We've been through all this before. I mean, but you really can't understate the fact that, you know, Ryan Izzo was his top tight end, that he had Jacoby, uh, yeah, Jacoby Myers and Nikhil Harry and Demir Bird is his wide receivers this year, you know, Carolina's offensive line is, is in a little bit of a mess, but mm-hmm. there's an argument to be made that this might be the best set of weapons that Cam Newton has ever had as he heads into the, into the Panthers mm-hmm. uh, for a second go with, you know, Christian McCaffrey at running back, Robbie Anderson and DJ Moore at wide receiver. I, you know, there's not a lot beyond that, but throughout his career in Carolina, 
one of the things that he didn't really have was, was a really solid set of weapons. So mm-hmm. I don't know. I think that this, it, it's still a tough situation. He's going to have to learn an offense on the fly. At least he's got the weapons this time, but if he struggles, then yeah, I think that we will see him in, in a backup role in the future, you know, maybe goes to Chicago next year to, to back up Justin Fields or just, you know, there might be more of a willingness even on his part if he does struggle this season that, okay, maybe being a backup quarterback is what I'll be for the rest of my career. And mm-hmm. if he doesn't want to do that, then maybe he does just retire. Uh, but if he struggles this season, I can't see a team, you know, giving him another shot as a starter in 2022 or beyond. Mm-hmm. I mean, you watch the Patriots pretty closely, even though you, um, you were covering them last year. So you saw plenty of cam, yeah. um, you know, I, I, I think it sort of feels like there's, you, you, you can only have one of two opinions about Cam. Like either <laughs> I, either he was rendered totally futile by a lack of weapons, and if he just had weapons, he'd be great. Or Cam was garbage, total trash, couldn't throw the football more than a yard without throwing into the ground. Like clearly, there is a middle ground between these two opinions that is valid. From your perspective, having covered the Patriots last year, having watched Cam very closely, what did you think? Like, like in terms of his performance, independent of salary, independent of of everything else, just in terms of how he played on the football field, like what did you see from Cam uh, as a quarterback? I, you know, I was kind of in that middle ground, and you're absolutely right. There were, there's so many Cam supporters out there who will defend him to the death, and there were a lot of people who didn't come in with that mindset who were Patriots fans last season who thought he was complete garbage. And I think that the opinion strayed so far in both directions that the only moderate place you can be is somewhere in the middle. Uh, and, and that's where I stand. I mean, there are people who thought that Cam Newton couldn't complete a pass nine yards. Like you said, that he was throwing balls in the, into the dirt the whole season. Well, he had a 65.8% completion percentage. I know that that's not uh, the best metric to judge quarterbacks or anything like that, but it was the second highest mark of his career. So it's mm-hmm. not as if every single pass was hitting the dirt. Um, he definitely was not what he has been in the past. Uh, so I think that it's fair to say that he took a few steps backwards last season. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, he had also missed most of the 2019 season. And like I said, there are plenty of excu- excuses for his performance. So I don't know. I think he's got, I think he's got something left, but even just from talking to people after he got released from the Patriots, there are a lot of people around the league who did think that you know, Cam was washed. They mm-hmm. didn't have the arm strength anymore, that he wasn't athletic enough uh, to make up for the, the lack of arm strength and the lack of accuracy. I'm curious to see how he looks now with better weapons, because that's one thing I was kind of excited about, even when there was a possibility that he was going to be the Patriots starter in 2021, mm-hmm. is that they added so much around him that there was no way that he could be worse than he was in 2020. I think that that's kind of where we're at now with Cam in 2021. I don't have a lot of faith that he's going to, come out of this as a, you know, a, above average starting quarterback. Uh, but I do think he can at least play better than he did last season. Mm-hmm. You mentioned the idea of someone improving dramatically in a new situation. And that seems to be the conversation around Odell Beckham, who we also need to talk about here. Um, Odell Beckham, of course, cut earlier this week by the Browns, went through waivers. Nobody claimed the remaining uh, money on Odell Beckham's salary. So Odell Beckham is a true free agent, can sign with any team in the NFL, has offsets on his Browns deal. So it's not even about the money really more so uh, than just the opportunity to play for the right team or the team that Odell Beckham 
desires. Now, of course, we have seen NFL players come out and sort of argue that their team should sign Ken. There's been a heavy recruitment process. It seems like um, publicly, privately, harder to say, certainly. You know, I think if, if Odell was as good of a player as maybe some people are making it out to be, somebody would have claimed him for free. Uh, and just picked up his salary, and that didn't happen, which I think is telling. But Doug, from your perspective, in terms of what Odell Beckham can offer an NFL team, how much do you think he really has left in the tank? It's a really good question because he was essentially a completely different player in Cleveland than he was with the Giants. And mm-hmm. you know, I I have talked to some people around the NFL who also question, you know, if it's Odell with the Giants versus Odell with the Browns, or if it's mm-hmm. Odell pre-massive contract versus Odell post-massive contract. Mm-hmm. But obviously there's also injuries that play into this as well. And right. it's less fun to play if you're not, you know, as healthy and as fast and athletic and agile as you were before all of these injuries. Mm-hmm. I, I do still think that he can be you know, this is setting the bar pretty low, but you know, a number one or number two wide receiver on an NFL team. Mm-hmm. Um, I definitely think that there are teams around the league who could use a player like Odell Beckham Jr. And there's that hope, you know, it, it's not the exact same thing as what I was talking about earlier with Ryan Tannehill and Sam Darnold, but the chemistry between Odell Beckham Jr. and Baker Mayfield was just never there. It seemed mm-hmm. like they were, you know, oil and water. They were, it it just, it never seemed to go well. And not only was Odell a much better player before he started playing with, with Baker Mayfield, Baker Mayfield is a much better quarterback when Odell Beckham Jr. Isn't on the field. It's just this really bizarre situation. So now this is the chance for Odell Beckham Jr. To prove that, you know, they were both at fault, that it wasn't only him that was causing Baker Mayfield to play so much worse and that he's not a worse player than he was on the New York Giants. So, no, I think that there's a future for Odell Beckham Jr. He's still a young player. Uh, We've seen other wide receivers kind of turn their careers around in in different situations. But at the same time, I do think that clearly there's a reason why no one claimed him off waivers when a year or two, a team absolutely would have claimed yes. him on waivers for free for $7.25 million for half a season, especially a team like the Seahawks who actually have more than enough cap space to have done mm-hmm. that. Yeah, for sure. Um, even if they were going to use him as a pass rusher, they, <laughs> right. could, have, they could have picked up on a backroom. I mean, I, I, you know, I, I will admit my bias here. I'm a Giants fan. I watched Odell Beckham. I was very excited to see him play at a high level. Um, it's just tough, right? Like I just, I put it in my column today, the numbers about his yards after catch, like he had so many big plays with the ball in his hands over his first three seasons. They just have not been there in years past. And I think certainly, you know, the point you bring up about Baker Mayfield is true. Like they just were not on the same page. They just did not really get to a point where they were working together at a really high level. There was one long touchdown against the Jets uh, a couple of years ago, I think one of Odell's first games with the Browns and then nothing really since then. Um, and then of course the injuries have added up a high ankle sprain in 2017 that gave way to a fractured ankle, mm-hmm. a torn ACL in 2020 costing Beckham the, uh, not the entire season, but a good chunk of the 2020 season. And that injury 
slowed him at the beginning of the year. He missed a couple of games to start the season and then has a shoulder injury. He's been playing through. He's only caught about 50% of the passes thrown in his direction so far this year, which is uh, another career low. I, you know, I, I just sit there and I think like, okay, well, even though they weren't on the same page, like you would have figured over the course of the last three years, if Odell was really great, I'm not just, not just good, not like just like a viable starter, but the great player we saw over his first three seasons, there would have been more stuff after the catch. There would have been more things where, okay, even though they're not on the same page regularly, at least the ball in is Odell Beck, the ball is in Odell Beckham's hands now. Baker Mayfield is out of the picture. It's just about what can Odell Beckham do versus this defense in this situation. And outside of that one long score against the Jets, that was before the ACL tear, there just wasn't the, the, those sort of big plays. And, you know, the, the Browns have a great infrastructure around Baker Mayfield. You know, Kevin Stefanski has a very good reputation in terms of getting the most out of the players he does have. We've seen other players uh, improve pretty comfortably from how they were playing under Freddie Kitchens versus how they've played under Kevin Stefanski. Like, I, I can't rule out that Odell Beckham is just in the wrong place at the wrong time and going to excel in the right place at the right time. But I just think there would be more evidence of him flashing than we've seen over the past three years if that were going to be the case. Yeah, no, I, I'm with you. I, I think that the days of Odell Beckham Jr. being the Odell Beckham Jr. that we remember from you know 2014 to whatever it was 2017 mm-hmm. uh, i do think that those days are probably over you know for his case i i hope that he can turn it around and be that player again but yeah i think that now you're talking about him being a starting wide receiver a number one or a number two on some team rather than saying yeah this guy can be a top 10 wide receiver in the nfl i think that that's where the conversation has shifted and like i said i think that that is why teams just weren't willing to pay that $7.25 million mm-hmm. that it would have cost to claim him because that's how much you want to pay for a, for a star wide receiver, not just one who's going to be good enough to start in your offense. And it just, to, you know, it, I do think still that money is a factor for him now the, that he is a free agent mm-hmm. and clearly money is a factor for teams who are looking to sign him as well. There was a report from Tom Silverstein who covers the Packers that you know Green Bay is only offering him a veteran minimum salary. Mm-hmm. That's after the fact that you know the Raiders gave Deshaun Jackson a million dollars over the course of, <laughs> of the rest of the, the season. So, you know, as it stands, the Raiders were willing to give Deshaun Jackson, who's 34 years old and certainly on the back end of his career, more money than the Packers mm-hmm. have been willing to give uh, Odell Beckham Jr. And just from, a, this is basically, I'm reading this off a, a Slack message between myself and uh, Brad Spielberger who works here for, for PFF with me. Mm-hmm. Um, it, money still matters in this and it okay. matters how much Odell Beckham Jr. can get over the rest of the season. Uh, I'm just going to quote him right here, Brad Spielberger. He didn't waive his right to all termination pay, just $3 million. If he gets $3 million elsewhere, he'd be able to earn the same $7.25 million that he was going to uh, that he was going to get mm-hmm. from the Browns. So I think that for him, he's probably still hoping to get that $3 million. Mm-hmm. It's just whether teams are actually willing to give that to him at this point. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, you know, you would figure again, if this were like the Odell Beckham, even closely the Odell Beckham of old, getting $3 million for a team would not be a problem. Right. And yet maybe, maybe he's getting $3 million from everyone and just has to pick between his options. But like, here we are. And 
it doesn't seem like that's the case. He's certainly taking a few days to make his decision. Maybe by the time we release this, he'll be, you know, signed somewhere, who knows. But um, as we think about where he might go, can you give me, well, maybe this is the same team for you. I'm going to ask though, can you give me the team you think would be best for Odell Beckham and the team that you think is most likely to actually sign the former LSE star? So I think that Odell Beckham thinks that the Packers would be the best team for him. Okay. Um, he's expressed in the past that it would be good to play with Aaron Rodgers. Sure. Um, which it would. And <laughs> I think that that's probably my take on this situation as well, that the Packers probably would be the best team for him just because Devontae Adams could still be clearly their, their best wide receiver. Um, but I do think that you could pretty safely say that even though Odell Beckham Jr. has taken a few steps back, that he would be better than guys like Marcus Valdez-Scantling, mm-hmm. uh, Alan Azard, Randall Cobb, everyone else who kind of fills out that Packers wide receiver depth. So I think that that probably is the team that he is hoping is going to ante up. And I think that that would probably be uh, the best fit for him where he actually winds up is a different story. I, I haven't heard a lot of people say that they think he's going to go to the Packers. Mm-hmm. Uh, just, you know, I, I've been asking everyone that I possibly can around the league, you know, where do you think Odell Beckham Jr. signs? And the two that do keep coming up are the Seahawks and the New Orleans Saints. Mm-hmm. Um, and the Saints definitely make sense because they're the only team uh, that were, you know, reported to have conversations about a trade with Odell Beckham at, at the trade deadline uh, that that never, you know, actually happened. Maybe the Browns would have been better off trading Odell Beckham to the Saints for whatever they were willing to offer. But that's a story for another day. Uh, and then the Seahawks are just the team that has the most cap space. And I think that from a Seahawks and a Packers perspective, to go back to the Packers, it does make sense to me for those organizations to go out there and try to get Odell Beckham Jr. If only to improve relationships with the quarterbacks that they have, because I'm sure that Aaron Rodgers would like to throw to Odell Beckham Jr. I'm sure that Russell Wilson would like to throw to Odell Beckham Jr. And I think that we're all expecting some degree of drama to be coming this upcoming off season between Rodgers and the Packers and Wilson and the Seahawks. And if they go out and say, okay, we'll get you another weapon. We'll get you a wide receiver that you like. I think that that could only improve relationships between those teams and those quarterbacks. I I agree. I mean, I think it makes total sense. I, you know, I I think the saints make sense from an off field perspective. Odell Beckham, of course, grew up in, I believe either Baton Rouge or new Orleans, went to LSU high school in new Orleans. I mean, just, you know, he's a Louisiana native. Like he's, (laughs) he's just part of the, the folklore of football in the state of Louisiana and the saints not exactly uh, overwhelmed with weapons at wide receiver, Michael Thomas done for the year. I I just, you know, if we're talking about an offense that struggled to get the ball to Odell Beckham, because it was maybe too run heavy or the quarterback wasn't all that great, like moving from Baker Mayfield and the Browns offense to Taysom Hill and the saints offense, like maybe it'll work out great. I don't know, but (laughs) that just seems like the concern for me. If this were the drew Brees era saints, or if Philip Rivers came back tomorrow, no question. I think that move would make sense for New Orleans. Um, we talked about this a little bit last night, and, and I mentioned the Chiefs as a team that makes sense to me, just because I think I, I consider how teams are playing them on the defensive side of the ball. And of course, 
you know, I feel like it's almost a, a meme at this point. Like, yes, teams are playing a lot more too high safeties. There's opportunities for stuff underneath. And the Chiefs don't have that sort of physical force on the outside besides Travis Kelsey, who, of course, Travis Kelsey is very good in that role, but he's only one guy. And if Travis Kelsey's banged up, which there's certainly been some uh, suggestions that Travis Kelsey's not 100%, if teams are going to do that, having the, the, the current version of Odell Beckham as opposed to someone like McCall Hardman or Byron Pringle or Demarcus Robinson in that role would be an upgrade. Uh, he is still a guy who can catch the ball over the middle of the field, a guy who is, you know, uh, still at least a, a little bit of a physical force um, and who has pretty good hands. Um, as you may remember, famously from his big catch, like, <laughs> like, like, you know, if the salary is not significant, which it seems like it won't be, you know, at the max $3 million, um, that would seem like a very reasonable move for the chiefs to make. Now they may say, Hey, we're going to save our money for the defensive side of the ball. And that would be totally reasonable um, given how bad their defense has been, but wouldn't shock me if they were at least having discussions about adding Odell Beckham to their roster. I, you know, Seattle is such a fascinating team because like, I, I absolutely think it would help Russell Wilson's relationship with Pete Carroll, but like, I still feel like at the end of the day, Pete Carroll wants to run the football and the Seahawks. I mean, Chris Carson's been hurt. They've been using Alex Collins as their starting running back. They've had DJ Dallas and Travis Homer drop in and Rashad Penny just came back. But like Odell Beckham's going to be the third wide receiver in that offense. And it's good to have him in case one of the top two guys get hurt. But like, are they going to be a three wide passing attack when Russell Wilson does come back? Right. It's that's, I think that's definitely the biggest question with Seattle. They would have to completely shift their offensive, you know, mindset uh, to fit what Russell Wilson and, and wants to do and what Odell Beckham could bring to that offense. But I, I'm right there with you with, with the Chiefs. I feel like I've been like screaming this from the rooftops ever since the offseason that like the Chiefs forgot to add a wide receiver this offseason or something. Like, like they lost Sammy Watkins and then we're like, Okay, we're gonna be fine with the guys that we've had for like two or three years now. The guys that you mentioned, Nicole Hardman, Byron Pringle, Demarcus Robinson. And I think that that's been a significant issue in their offense. And yeah, their defense is certainly, you know, underperforming this season or they're performing how we kind of expected them to. But their offense is really right there with them this year. And I do think that they really do lack. That that third option in the passing attack because Travis Kelsey, yeah, he doesn't look the same this season so far. Uh, maybe it is an injury. Maybe it's just the fact that he is kind of getting a little bit more up there in age. He is mm-hmm. basically the same exact age as Rob Gronkowski. I think that's that's worth noting uh, mm-hmm. as it pertains to that conversation. Uh, but no, I think that they would make a lot of sense. I think that that would go a long way towards potentially fixing that Chiefs offense, which might get fixed otherwise. But Patrick Mahomes looks so unlike himself that I actually started asking people around the league if there was like if there's an injury that he's dealing with if there's something you know else that's that's affecting his play and basically the answers that I got were that he's pressing a little bit defenses have completely changed their scheme to beat him and that's what's affecting the Chiefs right now uh but I do think that you know if they have the option to add someone like like Beckham then that would make a lot of sense the other team that you know is in the mix is the Patriots I think another team that would make a lot of sense would be the the Los Angeles Chargers, but mm-hmm. uh, Tom Telesco has just shown you know that that organization just hasn't really added pieces in the middle of the season historically. Mm-hmm. They've usually just kind of stuck with what they have at the beginning and, and tried to figure it out that way. So 
I, I don't know. Maybe that's why they haven't been going after Deshaun Jackson and why they're not, you know, known to be in the mix for, for Odell, but among the, the teams that haven't been mentioned as being in the mix for, for Beckham, I do think the chargers would make some degree of sense as well. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I mean, Mike Williams uh, has been banged up. He has not been producing the way he was early in the season when he looked like he was going to be a superstar. Um, and if they're going to move on from Mike Williams after the year, given that he's a free agent, this yep. might be like a, a, a sort of a first glance at Odell Beckham and how he fits in that locker room. Uh, actually, let me ask about that because I, I wanted to guess that and didn't do it. Um, I, I I find the Odell Beckham conversation to be really impenetrable at times just because I think you have this sort of player where there's this perception that he's like damaging to the team, that he's a bad teammate. And yet like you, you like see the way people are talking about him. It's not like, you know, other people around the NFL are like, yeah, we don't want to sign this guy. Like there are players around the NFL who are like begging their teams to sign Odell Beckham. And if he was a bad dude or like a bad human being or someone who was not good for the locker room, I don't think that would be happening. Like, I don't want to say, Earl Thomas is a bad person or, or a bad human being, because I don't think that's fair to say. But certainly when Earl Thomas hit frequency last year, it wasn't like we were seeing the same sort of, you know, outcry for, oh man, we got to sign Earl, we got to sign Earl. Like it didn't really happen. And, and so I guess I wonder, like, from your perspective in terms of talking to people, in terms of what you've seen yourself, like, do you think Odell Beckham as an off-field personality, as a person in the locker room, as a person on the sideline? Like, do you think that stuff is impacting teams' interest in Odell Beckham? I, I don't, I don't think so. I, it's a good question. I think that just any time that you sign a player with that big of a name, essentially, mm-hmm. it, it, there is some some baggage or maybe some expectations uh, that come along with it. But no, it is interesting the the kind of narrative around Odell Beckham Jr. because uh, like this is kind of a funny thing to reference, but. Uh, like my mom was made aware that the Patriots were potentially going to be signing Odell Beckham Jr. And basically just like from what she's heard from the outside, she was like, Oh, isn't he like a, a, another, like, it doesn't he have like issues off the field or whatever it is. I'm like, no, not really. Like, <laughs> I, I guess like maybe that's one of the reasons why the Browns released him just because like his father posted the video about Baker Mayfield and LeBron James got involved. Mm-hmm. Uh, but ultimately it just seemed like it, it was a move that made sense for both parties uh, to, to get rid of him. But mm-hmm. no, there's not like a history of, of off field issues with him. It's, it's almost kind of similar. And I don't mean to make this comparison just because he's such an otherworldly player, but I feel like Randy Moss reached that point at a certain point in his, of his career where he was known as, as being kind of an issue and he never really was. He like he didn't have those off-field issues. He was just a big personality. I think mm-hmm. that that's what you're getting with Odell Beckham too. And maybe some teams would be hesitant to add a big personality at this point in the season. Uh, but for teams with obvious issues in their offense, which is you know basically all of the teams that we've mentioned, mm-hmm. I think that you can put those aside and maybe these last few years have you know potentially humbled Odell a little bit uh, to where maybe he is coming in with a with a slightly different perspective. I can't believe you well actually your mom. <laughs> I, I did. I did. I, she, cause I think that she's been burned by some of these, 
these Patriots signings because she's a Patriots fan. Uh, you know, she expected more out of Antonio Brown. She expected mm-hmm. more out of out of Josh Gordon. So she was a little bit afraid to take on something else like that. And I said, no, it's not really a comparable situation. I wouldn't compare Odell to, to Antonio Brown or Josh Gordon. Mm-hmm. I think that's fair. Um, yeah, it'll be really intriguing. I mean, certainly if Odell Beckham does play well over the second half of the year, you know, he'll be a free agent. He'll still be, I think he'll be turning 30 at that point. Like he'll still be in line for a reasonable deal. And he has every reason to be motivated to play at a high level. Um, he has the ability to choose where he's going to go. So he can sort of pick and choose the best situation. Um, so yeah, I, I think this is more so than cam. Like this is a, if you can do it, this is proof that you're going to do it for a couple more years. Absolutely. And it might take, you know, I would say that if he plays well, really regardless of how he plays, I might see like a one-year prove-it deal this offseason. I'm still mm-hmm. not sure if teams will be convinced enough to sign him to, to some big long-term deal this offseason. Uh, but I, I do think that that could come eventually mm-hmm. where a team, after maybe a year and a half of him playing uh, top-tier football, uh, could eventually you know, be signed to another big contract down the line. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I absolutely agree. Um, Let's finish up here, Doug. Uh, we were going to talk about sort of the some of the worst teams in football and what success might mean for them over the course of the the rest of the season. Let's run through them all pretty quick. We can hit a handful of them here. Um, in the AFC East, uh, the Jets and the Dolphins, two teams that are both two and six and two and seven respectively. Like, is there anything they can do in the second half to qualify and feel good about themselves heading into 2022 oh with the jets i I think the most interesting piece of that puzzle it should be zach wilson but it's actually mike white (laughs) because mike white is a restricted free agent after the season um and if he plays really well as a starter which he's going to be starting this week uh you know the robert sal has essentially said that you know there's a possibility that he could keep starting after that then they have to make a decision after the offseason to tag him as a a first, second, or original round tender as a restricted free agent. So you're talking about them potentially getting a draft pick for Mm -hmm. Mike White after this season. So I almost think that's the biggest thing uh, that's that's, at stake for the Jets moving forward is what they can sign Mike White for after the season or what they could get for him. With Mm -hmm. the Dolphins, it's once again the quarterback. I think that they just need to see what Tua can do over the course of the rest of the season. Uh, you know, I'm, we're recording this right now on Thursday afternoon, so we're not sure if he's actually even going to play mm-hmm. on Thursday night. Uh, but they just need to see what they have there. And if he can show, you know, more promise then that, they could either be more confident moving forward with him as their starter, or once again, they could potentially trade him uh, if he does look good over the course of the rest of the season. Mm-hmm. Same question here in the AFC South, the Texans and the Jaguars. You know, expectations are just so low for both those teams overall (laughs) that like their best course of action. And, uh, you know, you hate to say this because no NFL team is actually going to say this, but best course of action is basically just to lose as many games as possible and, you know, and, and have, you know, better picks. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a tough situation, especially for the Texans, uh, since they've, you know, traded away some picks in the past, but yeah, with the Jaguars, just seeing what they have in Trevor Lawrence, and for the Texans, 
just getting the season over with and, and trying to keep as many guys as, he- as healthy as possible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I like, I, I, I'm not sure what else could possibly happen that would feel good for them given, right. given the hole they have dug themselves over the course of the, the last year. And I think the frustrating thing, maybe not frustrating, but like the, the thing people are sleeping on about the Texans is just so many of the players they have are veterans on one-year deals. Like, yeah, like they just signed so many players just to get by this year, just to try and be professional this year. Like there's so little in the core there that like, even if they do look competent towards the end of the season, a lot of those guys are leaving. Right. It's, it's interesting actually that they weren't able to pull off more trades for the deadline. I know they made a couple, but it almost seemed like that was their plan heading into this right. year that like, all right, we'll sign as many guys to one-year deals as possible. And then maybe we can flip them for something like added assets, added draft picks, whatever it is at the deadline. They didn't totally do that, but yeah, it's tough. Like even a guy like Justin Reed, um, he's got a contract coming up. He's kind of a player that they could potentially build around, but who knows if he'll be staying past this season, unless they decide to you know franchise him or something like that. It's tough. It's a tough roster where there's not a lot of hope for the future. And now if they're going to trade Deshaun Watson for, you know, multiple first round picks after the year, mm-hmm. um, then it's, it's probably going to be a pretty lengthy rebuild for them. Mm-hmm. Let's finish up with the two, two win teams or two, two wins or less teams in the NFC, the Washington football team and the Detroit lions, anything they can do over the second half to kind of just show that there's signs of life heading into 2022. I, I think that the Lions' decision to claim Josh Reynolds was was kind of a sneaky big move, at least within that organization. You know, in football, it's not because there's so many other things going on, like Cam Newton and Odell Beckham and everything. But it, at least that gives Jared Goff a pretty, you know, a decent wide receiver uh, that he's got a history with. Mm-hmm. That maybe now they can get a better sense of what Jared Goff is over the course of the rest of the season. And then they can decide after this year, whether to move on from him or, you know, draft another quarterback or, or really what they do with Jared Goff. So I think mm-hmm. that that's the big thing for them. Um, just seeing what they've got in golf. I, I also think that getting Taylor Decker back uh, helps as well there just mm-hmm. for golf and their offense. Uh, they'll see what P nice can do it at right tackle. They are a team with some, a little bit more intriguing young players. So, you know, getting at least one win under their belt and then just seeing what they've got in golf and some of those young players and Washington, it's a little bit more difficult. Uh, They are another team with, with some good young players on their roster, but they were just expected to be so much better than they were this season that I do actually think that it's important, more important for them than the rest of the teams that we've talked about to actually have some success mm-hmm. over the course of the rest of the season. Uh, we'll see if they can get Ryan Fitzpatrick back, but really regardless of who's at quarterback, I think they just really need to show signs of life uh, to prove that this, this season wasn't just, you know, basically a, a complete waste of time for them. What a sad way to put it. Just- I know it's tough. It's uh, I feel bad for Ron Rivera. Like it, they just should have been so much better, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, I mean, it felt yeah. like they were sort of like the Dolphins, like heading in the right direction right. and then not heading in the right direction. And the the Fitzpatrick injury, I think, was major. I think that, you know, they fooled themselves into thinking that they had something with Taylor Heineke because of the playoff game they played against the Buccaneers last season, when in all reality, he was a guy who was like, I forgot where he was even working at, like an insurance firm or whatever it was. You know, he'd been bouncing around the league. 
Um, and Taylor Heineke is who basically we all thought he was. Mm-hmm. Um, and they traded, you know, not traded, but they had to exchange a, a very, you know, decent starting quarterback in Ryan Fitzpatrick for a player like Taylor, Taylor Heineke. So it, it's tough, but I, I do think that they need to, they need to be just a little bit better over the course of the rest of the season. Mm, I agree. I mean, I think they will be like their defense is like so weird. It's, it's, yeah, they're like on first and second down, they're like top four in the NFL. And on third down, they're like the worst defense or one of the worst defenses of the last 20 years on third down, which is weird. I don't know why you would suddenly get bad at third down, but I, I do think their secondary doing. is kind of a, I actually, I went to a practice. I went to a Washington practice this, this summer Mm-hmm. And everyone was talking about their defense. I was like, all right. I mean, the front seven's great, but the the back end is it's like there's some questions there. Oh, for sure. I think I think that those questions uh, are have kind of percolated a little bit more this season. And I do think that that's that's certainly the issue there is that yeah, they've got a good front seven, but the the secondary just has not played as well as I guess some people expected them to this year. Yeah, it's been a real mess. Yeah. Um, well, Doug, thank you so much for coming on today. Where can people check out? more of the work you do uh you can go to pff.com uh to check out everything that i'm writing there Uh, i've got a mailbag coming on friday and uh myself ari mayrove and the aforementioned brad spielberger do a uh like a pf live q a on twitter on mondays we're also going to be doing one during halftime of the thursday night game i think moving forward so that's where you guys can check me out and follow me on Twitter at Doug Kide, K-Y-E-D. Awesome. Well, thanks so much, Doug. Thank you. All right. Thanks so much to PFF's Doug Kide. Doug's a great follow. Check him out on Twitter. Uh, as he mentioned, check out his work on PFF. We have more audio coming next week. Hope you guys enjoy this episode. More football content coming on the way next week. Thanks so much for listening.